You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Twelve Rites of Passage by Paula Graves, also known as Anne Haynes. Chapter 5, Reunion. Dana Scully walked slowly up the footpath to Caroline Mulder's Greenwich bungalow, wary of what she would find when she knocked on the door. While Mulder picked up his mother and headed back for Greenwich, she'd stayed behind in New Haven for a couple of hours to give her statement about her abduction to the police and to have her car examined by the evidence technicians on the off chance that her abductors had left prints or fibers. But it had been clean, of course, and she'd left New Haven about an hour ago after stopping to say goodbye to Lorna and Benton. When she had called Mulder halfway through the drive to Greenwich, he'd been tense and brief, promising he'd catch her up on everything as soon as she got there. She didn't know if he'd have good news or bad news, but she'd find out soon. She knocked on the door. Mulder answered. He smiled slightly, reaching out to draw her inside, his hand on her shoulder. How'd things go? The car was clean, as we expected. He nodded. Where's your mom? She's in her bedroom. She had some phone calls to make. Mulder led her into the living room, his hand warm against the small of her back. This isn't going to be easy for her. Mom would prefer to forget the past 30 years ever happened. Understandable, Scully thought. Did you ask her about the man Sarah had lunch with, the man who was at your father's funeral? He nodded and gestured toward a pair of camelback armchairs in front of a cold hearth. He glanced at the fireplace, a little frown on his face. I guess we should start a fire. I'll do it, she offered, knowing how fire still had the power to make him cringe, even after he'd managed to conquer the paralyzing effects of his phobia all those years ago during the Cecil Lively case. She pulled a long match from the small brass canister by the hearth, struck the flint and touched the small flame to the gas log. When the fire was well lit, she stepped back, turning to meet Mulder's grateful smile. Thanks. Anytime. She sat in the chair next to his, holding her cold hands out toward the flame. So tell me what your mom said. Mostly, she doesn't remember. I know she was kept out of the loop for most of it, And what she did know about, I think she's deliberately put out of her head because it's too painful to think about. Scully looked down at her hands, thinking about her own cowardice when it came to remembering. Did she know who you were talking about when you mentioned the British man? He nodded. She says she knew him as Carter Christopher, though she's pretty sure that's not his real name. Carter Christopher, she thought, letting the name roll silently over her tongue. It sounded like a master manipulator, one who took great joy in messing with people's minds. Very fitting. Does she know where we can find him? Those are the phone calls she's making. He lay his cheek against the back of the chair, his eyes meeting hers. Maybe we'll have a lead by lunchtime. She nodded, looking away after a long moment. Things between her and Mulder were still a little tense, but she could feel the small rift already beginning to heal. After that short but horrible period they'd been through a couple of years ago, when they were practically at each other's throats, 
They'd learned to keep personal tensions strictly separate from work. And they'd worked equally hard on resolving their personal tensions, learning lessons about trust and forgiveness and commitment that had brought them back to the brink of something far more powerful than partnership or friendship. She wanted to believe they could handle more. She wanted to believe they could have everything, passion and love and companionship, as well as respect and admiration. But it would take so much work, so much dedication. And was there room for that in either of their lives? Not right now. Not with all that was going on. Resolutely, she looked away and stared into the dancing blue flame of the fire. They sat in silence for a long time, comfortable with the quiet, comfortable even, with the knowledge that unspoken feelings lay between them. It had been that way from the beginning, after all. So many things unsaid, things that couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't be spoken. And yet they knew that what they shared was special and unique and worth fighting for. Scully closed her eyes, a faint smile on her lips, thinking about the long ago and faraway time when their partnership had been new. So many possibilities. Who was this mysterious, mercurial fox molder her superiors had sent to rein in? Would he be resentful, suspicious, hard to deal with? Yes, yes, and oh my, yes. And it had been exciting challenging, energizing. She had never felt more alive in her life than she had in those early days with Mulder, testing the bounds of their partnership, learning his ways and his thoughts and his habits and actions. She had revealed her own personality with a sort of coy reticence, as if she understood even then that once she committed herself to Fox Mulder and his quest, there would be no turning back. And, as relationships do, it had soon changed, darkened, deepened, taking on a texture of trust that hadn't been present at the beginning. But with the trust had come the realization that trust was fragile, easily shattered, and difficult to rebuild. Mulder didn't trust easily, to say the least, and these days neither did she. The soft sound of slow, halting footsteps approaching the living room roused her from her drowsy contemplations. She stirred, turning to watch Caroline Mulder enter the room. She was elegantly dressed, Scully noted, in a black silk pantsuit that complemented her immaculately styled silver hair. Her left hand curled around the intricately carved knob of a walking cane fashioned of teak wood. She smiled at her son before turning her hazel gaze to meet Scully's. Dana, it's so lovely to see you again. Scully rose and crossed to her, holding out her hand. How are you, Mrs. Mulder? You look wonderful. Caroline smiled gently, though her eyes remained a bit wary. I've done very well. I've been remiss, however. I should have thanked you long ago for your kindness during my illness and recovery. Fox has told me what a comfort you were to him, and I knew you were there, too. I felt your concern as well. Scully gently squeezed her hand and let it go. I was glad to be able to do whatever I could to help. Caroline gently steered Scully back toward the chair she had just vacated. She smiled at her son, who had stood at her entrance. 
I suppose you may both be interested in what I've found out. She sat on the sofa next to Mulder's chair. Scully turned her own chair to face Mrs. Mulder. I hope you'll be able to help me find my friend. I hope so too. I believe I have located the man you're looking for. Scully felt a surge of excitement. Force of habit made her turn to look at her partner. His hazel eyes met hers, glittering with anticipation. When Scully dragged her gaze back to Mrs. Mulder, she found her partner's mother smiling slightly, observing their unspoken interchange. I'm sure Fox told you that I knew him by the name Carter Christopher. I don't believe that is his real name, however. And the only dress I ever had for him is now a parking lot in Manhattan. You said you've located him? Mulder asked. Caroline nodded. At least I know where you can find him tonight. He's going to be at a party celebrating the engagement of his godson, Paul Leone. I have it on good authority that several of the men who spent time at our home all those years ago will be there as well. Mulder's eyes widened slightly. How did you find this out? I've kept some contacts from the past, Fox. Her expression darkened slightly, furrows creasing her forehead. Very few, but good ones. People who have stayed in the loop. Where is the party? Scully asked. In New York City, at the Waldorf Astoria, tonight at 8 o'clock. It's formal, as these things generally are, but I have procured invitations for you both. How'd you manage that? Mulder asked, admiration apparent in his expression. Scully hid a smile, glad that for once his own family was coming through for him. His mother's willingness to help would go a long way toward healing some very old wounds, she knew. Like I said, I've kept some contacts, but we don't have much time. No, we don't, Scully agreed. For one thing, I have nothing to wear. Mulder chuckled. Women. She shot him a little glare. I'll need to find a formal wear shop somewhere and hope I can find something affordable. There's a lovely boutique right here in Greenwich that has reasonable prices. The shop on Caraway. Caroline assured her. And just down the block is a men's shop that rents tuxedos as well. Mulder grimaced. Damn. Men, Scully murmured, darting a glance at him. He looked back at her, amusement glinting in his eyes. Fox, you and Dana go and find something to wear tonight. I'm going to have lunch with my friend. Get all the particulars on the party and whatever you might need to know. Caroline looked at her son, a bemused expression on her face. I would enjoy the cloak and dagger flavor of this adventure a lot more if I didn't know how dangerous these men are. You two must promise me that you'll be very careful. We'll watch each other's backs, Mrs. Mulder. We've gotten very good at it, Scully assured her. She nodded. I know. I can't tell you what comfort I find in knowing that you're watching out for my son, Dana. Dana blinked back unexpected tears, touched by Mrs. Mulder's words. She looked down at her hands, hiding her emotional reaction from both mother and son. I should be back here by two o'clock at the latest, Caroline continued, quickly filling the silence that had fallen over her previous statement. I'll fill you in on whatever I find out. She stood, gesturing toward them. We'd better hurry. Not much time now. Scully followed Mulder and his mother outside to their cars. She handed her car keys to Mulder. You know Greenwich better than I do. 
The drive into town was pleasant, an upscale bedroom community of New York City. Greenwich was old money and elegant charm. Caraway Street was just off the beaten path, nestled in the heart of a slightly newer, slightly less tony area of town. Mulder parked the car on the street in front of the dress shop. Tuck shop is down at the end of the block, if memory serves me. He glanced at the window display of the dress shop, his eyes widening slightly. Scully followed his gaze. There were two mannequins in the window, wearing two distinctly different sorts of gowns. One was a lovely cranberry velvet with a silver print brocade bodice and a gorgeous gold accent that draped over the shoulder, reminding Scully of something she'd seen in a Renaissance painting. The other was a stunning navy strapless sheath that hugged the mannequin's svelte figure like a glove. She was pretty sure she knew which dress had caught Mulder's eye. Do I get a vote? He murmured. Go rent a tux, Mulder. She gave him a little shove. He grinned at her and gave a little wave as he turned and walked away. She entered the dress shop, heralded by a discreet tinkle of a bell over the door. Moments later, a woman emerged from the back of the shop to greet her. She exuded class, from her oh-so-perfectly-tinted and styled ash-blonde hair to her immaculate, not-too-long, buffed-but-not-polished fingernails. Scully felt acutely aware of her own less-than-stylish appearance. How long since my last haircut, she wondered as the woman approached. But she stuck her chin out, reminding herself that after six years of dealing with serial killers, mutants, and government conspirators, managing one upper-crust shop matron should be a breeze. May I help you? Scully nodded. I'm a friend of Caroline Mulder. She highly recommended this shop to me. I have a formal affair to attend in the city and need a dress. Mulder unlocked Scully's car and carefully hung his newly rented tuxedo on one of the garment hooks over the back windows. He turned and looked through the shop windows, hoping to catch a glimpse of his partner, maybe modeling her new gown. The door of the shop opened and Scully emerged, gold plastic garment bag in hand. Her auburn eyebrows rose quizzically as he took a startled step back. Never seen the inside of a dress shop before, Mulder? He pasted on a nonchalant grin, wishing he could see through the opaque garment bag to see what kind of dress she'd chosen. Millions of times, he assured her. He unlocked the door for her, then circled the car to the driver's side as she stashed her dress safely in the back seat. As he was opening his own door, he glanced up at the shop window and noticed that the dress that had caught his eye was now conspicuously absent from the display. His grin broadened. Could be quite an interesting night. Caroline Mulder looked up at her son, a little thrill of pride rippling through her as she realized what a fine, handsome man he turned out to be in spite of everything he'd been through. He looked down his nose at her, smiling a bit as she deftly tied his bow tie. I can do this myself, Mom. She looked up at him with mock sternness. Stand still, Fox, and quit complaining. I want to check and see if Scully's ready. She arched her eyebrows. If she needs your help dressing, Fox, I'm sure she'll ask. He chuckled. I got her something, Mom. I'm just not sure I should give it to her. Caroline patted down his tie, straightening it. Why not? 
I don't know if it's appropriate. I thought you weren't worried about what was appropriate anymore. He crossed to the dresser and picked up a hairbrush, absently smoothing the hair at his temples, even though his hair was unusually neat already. Timing is everything. And you think the timing is bad now? Horrible, actually. There's no such thing as the perfect time, Fox. But there is such thing as the wrong time, and this is it. Are you sure you're not just avoiding the issue? He turned and met her questioning gaze, a hint of impatience in his expression. She could almost read his mind, and what she read there hurt. Who was she to talk about avoidance? She looked away, crossing to the tall oak wardrobe in the corner of her bedroom. I told Dana she could borrow my satin evening cloak to cover her dress. It's going to be a cold night. She stole a glance at him. Have you seen her dress? Only on a mannequin. I'm sure it looks much lovelier on her. No doubt. He looked up at her, a smile curving his lips. Want to see what I bought for her? I had some time to kill after I rented the tux, so I went to the antique store next door. Thought I might find some old baseball cards for a steal, but as soon as I saw this, I grabbed it. I could see it on her. He crossed to the bed and picked up the tan windbreaker he'd been wearing on the quick trip into Greenwich. He pulled a small sack from the pocket and upended it into his hand. Caroline stepped closer, looking at what he held in his outstretched palm. It was an old-fashioned gold hair comb, delicate and lovely, studded with smooth, carbuncle-style garnets. It's exquisite. Is it too much? He looked wary. I think she'll love it. So should I give it to her? Yes, you should. He frowned slightly. What if she refuses it? Caroline considered the question, realizing that it was more than just an idle query. Dana Scully might well refuse her son's gift. She might not share his desire for a deeper relationship. Or even if she shared his feelings, she might not be willing to take the risk of acting on them. But loving another person was always a risk. In her own case, it had led to personal tragedies that would color the rest of her life. But somehow, through it all, she had begun to hope that her son might one day find the happiness that she had been denied. Maybe it had started with meeting Dana Scully at the Garden of Reflection the day Bill had been buried. Something about the young woman had struck her, heartened her. Maybe it was the certainty with which Dana had told her that Fox was going to return to them. Maybe it was the gentle, abiding love for her son that had shone in the woman's eyes. Do you trust Dana with your life, Fox? He stared at her for a moment, then nodded. Then why not trust her with your heart? She felt a sliver of pain at the sight of his indecision. She could almost hear the battle taking place between his head and his heart, and she recognized that her own failures had left her son with scars as well. She reached out and took his hand, closing his fingers over the comb. Give it to her. Give her a chance to prove herself worthy of your trust. He looked down at the gold trinket clutched in his hand, then nodded slowly. He lifted his other hand to stroke her cheek, his gaze gentle and so full of love that tears filled Caroline's eyes. He lowered his hand and walked to the bedroom door. She blinked away her tears, 
watching him pause in the open doorway as if to gird himself for battle. Then he walked out of the room, headed down the hall toward the spare bedroom where Dana Scully was dressing. She watched the empty doorway for another moment, then went to her dresser and opened a square leather case. Inside, she found a few pieces of jewelry she had kept after the divorce. She'd sold or given away most of the things that Bill had brought for her, unwilling to face those reminders every time she opened a drawer. But she kept a couple of things, Kenwood family heirlooms her mother had given her before her marriage. One of these treasures was a necklace and earring set, diamonds accented with garnets in a gold setting. The diamonds were tiny and delicate, the garnets blood red and cabochon style rather than faceted. Dana, with her milky white skin and fiery hair, would look radiant in these jewels. And they'd be lovely with the antique hair comb her son had bought for the woman who'd stolen his heart. Take his gift, Dana, she willed silently. Recognize that he's giving you his heart and don't let him down. Dana Scully's hair was not cooperating. Aware of the minutes ticking inexorably away, she'd dried it faster than usual, not taking enough time to shape the sometimes flyaway ends with her brush. Now her hair was unruly, charged with static electricity, and about to be the cause of a cursing fit that would shock a sailor. Of course, that would be the moment Fox Mulder chose to knock on the bedroom door and ask to come in. She growled her assent, and he entered. He stopped in the doorway and looked at her, an odd expression on his face. She looked down at herself, a heated blush stealing over her as she realized how low the scoop-necked brocade bodice plunged. Mulder was getting an eyeful of flesh he probably hadn't seen since their first case together when she'd stripped to her underwear in his hotel room to let him look at some bumps on her back. Nervously, she walked back to the dresser and picked up the hairbrush she'd abandoned a few minutes ago. I can't get my hair to behave, she murmured. She heard the door close, then Mulder's voice, hoarse and oddly unsteady. Funny, you should mention that. I, I think I have something that might help. She turned around, surprised by his strange tone of voice. He was still staring at her, his eyes dark and almost wary. What? she asked. Nothing, really. Just a trinket I ran across. Thought you might like it. He took a couple of steps toward her and held out his hand. Nestled in his palm was a delicate gold hair comb encrusted with small cabochon garnets and tiny faux diamonds. It was unusual and breathtakingly lovely. She looked up at him, surprised. For me? He nodded, his expression taut, as if he expected her to throw the gift back in his face. She took the comb from his hand, feeling its heft, and realizing that it wasn't gold-plated as she'd originally thought. She couldn't imagine how much money this trinket had cost him, and her first instinct was to insist that she couldn't possibly accept it. But when she met his gaze, preparing a gentle refusal, the fear in his eyes stopped her before she could utter a word. He expected her rejection, she realized, was awaiting it with almost fervent certainty. 
When she spoke, her words were simple and sincere. Thank you. He almost wilted with relief for a moment, but quickly caught himself, pasting an expression of world-weary boredom on his face to mask his pleasure. She didn't know why he even bothered to hide his feelings from her anymore. Most of the time, she could read him like a book. Lucky for you I found it, huh? He waved his hand at her hair, a teasing light in his eyes. She sighed and turned back to the dresser mirror, not very hopeful that even this lovely comb could salvage her hair. But when she coiled her hair in a French twist at the back of her head and anchored the roll with the comb, she realized that her hair had gone from flyaway to elegant in a matter of seconds. Mulder appeared in the mirror, standing right behind her. She met his dark gaze in the glass. The thing must be magic, she murmured. He took a step closer, his gaze still locked with hers in the mirror. You never wear your hair up. She swallowed with difficulty as he lifted his hand to her neck and coiled a loose tendril of hair around his finger. It's not usually practical. You wore it up for your pals in the VCS, playing cool, professional Agent Scully. He leaned a little closer, his breath warm against her ear. Tom Colton looked so surprised when you turned down his offer to break you out of your basement prison. To this day, I still wonder why you didn't take him up on it when you had a chance. Her pulse hammered in her ears, whether more from fear or from arousal, she couldn't say. She knew every argument against letting her feelings distract her from her work. She and Mulder needed to be clear-headed, focused, when they bearded Carter Christopher and his associates in their den. But right now, with his fingers lightly brushing her flesh, his eyes devouring her. A knock on the door startled her, breaking through the fiery haze of longing that had enveloped her. She drew away from Mulder and crossed to the door, her hand trembling slightly on the doorknob. Caroline Mulder greeted her with a smile. You look lovely, Dana. What an unusual gown. Scully looked down at the cranberry velvet dress, trying to see it from the other woman's perspective. Did she think the neckline plunged too low? Were the velvet sleeves too long for her arms? Was the skirt too full? She realized with surprise that she didn't want to appear gauche or dowdy in front of Mulder's mother. She wanted the woman to like her, to admire her, even though she herself still had many reservations about how Caroline Mulder had let her son down over the years. Scully lifted her hand to her bare throat. It didn't look quite this décolleté on the mannequin, she said wryly. I'm certain it didn't look nearly as beautiful on the mannequin either. Caroline touched Scully's elbow, guiding her into the room. But it needs something. She held out her hand, unconsciously mimicking her son's earlier palm-up offering. Scully stared at the exquisite earring and pendant set Mrs. Mulder held out to her. Small clusters of diamonds were offset by cabochon garnets in the fine gold settings. How beautiful! I thought you might like to borrow them. Scully met Caroline's gaze and saw, to her surprise, the same fear of rejection she'd seen earlier in the wary gaze of the sun. As before, she was powerless to refuse the offer. Thank you. Caroline smiled and placed one hand on Scully's shoulder, turning her gently to face the bed where Mulder slouched, propped up by his elbows, 
managing to look absolutely gorgeous even with his tuxedo jacket unbuttoned and his tie slightly askew. He made a little face at her as his mother fastened the necklace around her neck. Overcome by an uncharacteristically childish impulse, she stuck out her tongue at him and was rewarded by his soft, surprised laughter. There, Caroline turned her back around to get a look at the necklace. Perfect! She caught Scully's hand and placed the small diamond and garnet studs in her palm. I'll leave you two alone to plan your strategy for the evening. The almost happy expression on her face faded as she turned her gaze to her son. Whatever you decide to do, please be careful. These people were dangerous enough decades ago. I imagine age has only honed their evil. Scully looked over her shoulder at Mulder. He was no longer laughing, his eyes dark and serious as he met her gaze. After his mother had left the room, he pushed himself off the bed and crossed to Scully. Are you sure this is how you want to handle this? We don't have any idea what we're walking into. She lifted her chin. Carter Christopher knows something about what happened to Sarah Chandler, and I suspect he knows about what happened to me during the months I was missing. I'm certain he knows what secrets his consortium considered so volatile that they found cold-blooded murder justifiable. She met his eyes, and maybe he knows what happened to your sister. Mulder parked the car at a public parking garage, and he and Scully walked a block to the Waldorf Astoria, their pace quickened by the chilly February night. He was scared, excited, angry. All those wild emotions that gripped him whenever he was close to uncovering another facet of the truth. He felt like he was going to fly apart. Then he felt her fingers slip into his own. He stopped mid-stride and looked down at her. Scully looked up at him, her eyes dark and fathomless in the light from the street lamps. He felt the tension roiling through her body as well, but knew she wouldn't give in to it. She was the anchor of this partnership. It was her job to keep him from careening off into heedless danger, and she was damned good at it. He studied her, let the sweet, familiar side of her calm him, give him strength and peace. She looked lovely, her hair pulled back from her face, accenting her Roman goddess features and gentle blue eyes. His mother's satin cloak covered her from neck to toe, but he'd seen her before in the bedroom, her body lovingly sheathed in rich cranberry velvet, the milky white flesh of her throat bared to him, tempting him to taste the sweetness. The neckline of the dress plunged dangerously near the shadowy cleft between her small round breasts, giving him a glimpse of secret forbidden territory, a call to adventure, a quest of a different kind. Resisting her beauty had never been easy, but time should have tempered the effect on him, familiarity taking the edge from his natural attraction to her charms. Friendship should have conquered desire, for indeed she was his friend in every sense that word conveyed, confidant, sounding board, companion, voice of reason. But with Scully, friendship merely deepened desire, gave it a richer color distilled his need to a purity he'd never experienced. Looking down into her uplifted face, 
he felt as if his entire being was on fire. But then something happened. Something so ephemeral that he couldn't put a name to it. He could only acknowledge the result, the sudden sense of peace that washed over him as she met his intensity with a steady calm. He relaxed beneath her touch, his explosive energy ebbing until he felt more in control. He tightened his fingers around hers for a second in silent gratitude, then loosened his grip, giving her permission to let go. But she didn't release his hand. For a moment, tension returned, hot and electric, and he felt another slight tightening of his groin. But then that too ebbed away as he recognized the need to put the task at hand foremost in their minds. It was what Scully expected, what she wanted, and he couldn't deny her anything she wanted. Hands still clasped, they entered the hotel. The Waldorf was as imposing on the inside as on the outside. Gray marble, gold fixtures, huge flower arrangements, muted lighting, marble floors with red carpeting. The enormous lobby and the corridors leading in and out housed a variety of exclusive shops drawing crowds of shoppers to the hotel. Mulder and Scully ignored the flow of tourists and headed straight for the elevator that would take them up to the Rockefeller Ballroom. A large, muscular man in an immaculately cut tuxedo stood at the door to the ballroom, clipboard in hand. You are? Scott and Tina Chapelier, Mulder replied, giving the man the names his mother had used to procure invitations to the party for them. The man glanced up and down the list, a frown on his face. Mulder's stomach tightened, wondering if his mother's contact had been less than trustworthy. But a moment later, the man's expression relaxed and he moved aside from the doorway, letting them enter. Scully released a small, pent-up breath as they entered the crowded ballroom. She looked around the room from her somewhat limited vantage point, and Mulder realized that her two-inch black pumps didn't give her nearly enough height to scan the crowd. He looked around in her stead, more than willing to be her point man. He caught sight of a familiar face. There's Christopher, he murmured. She followed his gaze, her eyebrows twitching slightly as she caught sight of the thin, silver-haired man in the corner near the bar. He wore his tuxedo with the casual air of one used to such trappings. His aquiline features were unexpectedly animated as he talked to a tall woman standing by his side. Scully looked up at Mulder. What now? He shook his head slightly. I don't want to try to talk to him in the middle of this crowd. Scully looked back at Christopher, a little frown creasing her forehead. As they watched, another man approached Christopher and his companion, and Mulder heard the air whoosh from Scully's lungs. He tightened his hand over hers, his nerves jangling with a rush of adrenaline. What? The man with Christopher. He looked at the large, dark-haired man who leaned in close to Christopher, murmuring something in his ear. His face was round, jowly, and dark, his eyes like twin chips of obsidian. He's the one who showed me the train car, like the one where I was. His stomach tightened twisted and rage shot through him. He tugged her hand gently, making her look at him. He's one of them? She nodded. 
Mulder's nostrils flared for a second, as if he'd smelled something foul, which maybe he had. This place is probably crawling with the bastards, and even though we don't know who they are, I'll bet they know who we are. She nodded again. Then we really can't afford to waste time. Maybe we should just try the straightforward approach. No, she disagreed. I think you should talk to Christopher. I want to talk to his associate. No. She withdrew her hand from his grip, lifting her chin as she met his worried gaze. Yes, I need to talk to him again. He knows more than he ever told me, and I let him get away without answering any of my questions. I don't like the idea of our getting separated. A crowd like this is the height of safety with these people, Mulder. These guys do their dirty deeds in the shadows, not in the middle of crowds. They won't risk hurting either of us in the middle of all this chaos. She put her hand on his arm, squeezing gently as if to reassure him. I'll be fine. You go talk to Christopher. Find out why he met with Sarah. Reluctantly, Mulder nodded, realizing that she was right. They had to separate for the moment, but he didn't move for a long moment, watching her pick her way through the crowd. Scully tracked the dark-haired man who had left Christopher's side and begun to traverse the room, talking with people as he went. She slipped through the crowd, grimacing with frustration as she had to circle small clumps of party-goers engaged in small talk. She was almost there when someone called her name. Dana Scully? She froze, her heart thudding wildly in her breast. A dark-haired man about her age emerged from one of the anonymous clumps of conversationalists. He was a couple of inches shorter than Mulder, with a stocky build and a round, boyish face. His hazel-brown eyes crinkled at the corners as he smiled broadly. It is you, isn't it? He did look familiar, she realized, although she couldn't place him. We had some physics courses together at Maryland, remember? He cocked his head, looking her over with harmless admiration. God, you look wonderful. You look just like you'd stepped out of college yesterday, not 12 years ago. Her memory finally clicked into place. Her eyes widened. Finn? He grinned broadly. Bet you never thought you'd see old Finn all decked out in a monkey suit. What are you doing here? She asked. It's my party, hon, which begs the question. What are you doing here? Her heart rate, which had eased back to normal at recognizing her old college buddy, suddenly sped up again. Oh my God, she realized. Finn's last name was Leone. I was in town and was in the mood to crash a posh New York soiree, she ventured, hoping her old friend was in the mood to let things slide. But his eyebrows rose slightly. St. Dana crashing a party? Twelve years can change a girl, Finn. She darted a glance around the room, trying to relocate her prey. She found him near the bandstand, talking to a slight, balding man. On impulse, Scully touched Paul's arm. Finn, who's that man in the corner? The dark-haired man with the heavy-set build. Paul glanced over his shoulder. Oh, you mean Dad? Scully's heart skipped a beat. Mulder made it to within ten feet of Christopher before the man turned his head and caught sight of him. Christopher's eyes widened. Surprise or fear, Mulder wondered. He hoped it was fear. He hoped to God the bastard was squirming. 
"Mr. Mulder, what a surprise to see you here. I don't recall seeing your name on the guest list." Mulder pasted a smile on his tart face. "You didn't." "And yet here you are." Mulder's smile stretched his tense facial muscles. "Nice little soiree you've got going here. But a little hint, the cheese doodles are a tad stale." The woman next to Christopher made a soft chuckling sound. Mulder looked at her for the first time, a quick appraisal, taking in the honey-brown hair worn in a straight chin-length bob, the clear slate-blue eyes, the full pink lips and straight pert nose. She was tall, voluptuous, wide hips and full breasts, a walking wet dream. Yet there was something about her that just screamed, "Look, but don't touch." He jerked his attention back to Carter Christopher. "I'd like a word with you alone." "I'm sorry, Mr. Mulder, but I have obligations here." Mulder closed the space between them, grabbing the older man's elbow in a crushing grip. "I think you have previous obligations, Mr. Christopher." Christopher's eyes widened a bit at the use of his name. Mulder noted with satisfaction. He pushed the man backwards, propelling him toward the wall. But before he'd gotten more than a couple of steps, a hand closed over his arm, the grip like steel causing intense pain. He looked up in surprise and met the cold gaze of Christopher's female companion. "Your father?" Scully hoped her voice didn't betray the ice forming in her veins. Paul nodded. Ray Leone, why do you ask? I thought he looked familiar. Scully lied, suddenly wanting to be as far away from Pollyone as possible. The walls of the room felt as if they were crumbling around her, pinning her under heavy debris. How long had her life brushed up against these men who had taken her? At least twelve years, she now knew. But had they been around earlier? Parents of her childhood friends, the reclusive neighbor who lived down the street. How many shadow people were there? How insidious was their influence in the lives of the innocent? Whom could she trust now? No one. No one but her mother, and Mulder, always Mulder. Come meet him. You'll love him. Scully felt the urge to turn and run, but from somewhere deep inside, she tapped into a core of steel and lifted her chin. Maybe it was the knowledge that in this situation she had the advantage of surprise, and knowledge. Somehow she got the feeling that Ray Leone, if that was really his name, hadn't enlightened his son about his more questionable activities, and that gave her the upper hand. That knowledge surged through her like raw, sheer power. She nodded. I'd love to meet him. The woman released Mulder's arm only after he let go of Christopher. "Thank you," she said. The first words she'd spoken. Her voice was high and clear, like silver tapping crystal. "Who the hell are you?" he grunted, well aware that despite her angelic voice and goddess-like appearance, this woman was deadly. She smiled, baring small, perfect teeth. "Deborah Bennett, and you?" Fox Mulder, Christopher supplied for him, and Mister Mulder was just leaving. Not until you answer a question for me, Mister Christopher.
Mulder stood his ground, despite his growing suspicion that the woman hovering close by wouldn't let a little thing like a crowd of people stop her from ripping his testicles right out from between his legs. Carter has made it clear that he doesn't want to continue this conversation, Deborah said, her voice light and delicate, her smile belying the lethal intensity of her gaze. Who are you, his bodyguard? Her smile widened. My God, he realized, that's exactly what she was. He managed not to drop his jaw, gathering up another gutful of courage and turning back to glare at Carter Christopher. Where is Sarah Chandler? I know of no one by that name. Liar, I have witnesses who will testify that they saw you in New Haven, Connecticut with Sarah Chandler the day she disappeared. Your witnesses are either sadly mistaken or they are lying. I have been nowhere near New Haven for several years now. Mulder ignored his denials. Why was she taken, Christopher? What does she know? He can't help you. Deborah Bennett's voice rang in his ear, her breath whispering over his skin in a wretched parody of seduction. But I can kill you, quietly, so no one even notices. And then I can kill your pretty partner as well. And no one will ever know what happened to you. His blood froze. No one is looking for Sarah Chandler, but you and your partner. No one else cares. So go home, Agent Mulder. Take your partner with you. Her crystal pure voice softened, hummed. Get married, have babies, live a normal life, and never look back. He turned his head to meet her gaze. What he saw there shocked him. Compassion, sadness, just for a second before it disappeared behind a sheet of icy disdain. I can't, he rasped. Her voice lowered to a whisper. Then you'll both end up dead. Dana Scully watched, her heart in her throat, as Ray Leone turned his head and met her gaze. A little thrill of power shot through her as she saw his eyes widen just for a bit, his full lips parting to emit a small hiss of shock. His dark gaze flitted from her face to the open, smiling face of his son. With great effort, he hid his surprise, greeting his son's smile with one of his own. Dad, I want you to meet an old school friend, Dana Scully. Dana, this is my father, Ray Leone. She held out her hand, smiling a cool, knowing smile. His carefully schooled expression couldn't fully mask the apprehension she saw trembling in the depths of his eyes. Nice to meet you, sir. Miss Scully. He released her hand, his gaze never wavering from hers. He looks like a bird watching a snake, waiting for it to strike, she thought, a ripple of satisfaction dancing through her stomach. Good. Please call me Dana. You called me Dana before, you son of a bitch, when you were in control. I haven't seen Dana in years, Paul commented, oblivious to the tension between Scully and his father. He looked down on her. So you must be a big time surgeon now. She shook her head. No, I opted for forensic medicine. I'm a special agent with the FBI now. 
She looked pointedly at Ray Leone, wanting him to squirm. A little muscle in his jaw twitched frantically, but that was the only outward sign of distress. How interesting that must be for you. She bit back a howl of bitter laughter. You bet your ass it's interesting, you manipulative bastard. How thrilling to have my sister die in my stead. How utterly marvelous to watch my partner's heart ripped out every single day as he sacrifices his entire life to right the wrongs you and your sanctimonious, power-grasping cohorts commit as blithely as breathing. Her anger was not lost on Leone. His eyes darted around the room as if looking for an avenue of escape. A swift shimmer of relief suddenly washed over his face. Ah, Lee! He lifted his hand, gave a little wave. Scully turned her head to watch the approach of a slim, red-haired woman coming their way, a smile on her face. Something about her reminded Scully of her sister Melissa. Maybe the soft hazel eyes or the wide-open smile as she approached. Pain like a razor ripped through Scully's heart, and it was all she could do to not turn away. Sweetheart, come meet an old friend of mine. Paul held out his hand to the woman, his face a study in adoration. This is Dana Scully, who saw me through more than one physics class at Maryland. Dana, my fiance, Lee McGraw. Scully shook hands with the taller woman, steeling herself against the impact of Lee's friendly smile. Nice to meet you. If you'll excuse me, Ray Leone began to sidle away as if he'd seen someone across the room. Damn it, Scully thought, her eyes following him. He was headed toward the corner where Mulder had gone in search of a confrontation with Carter Christopher. She bit back a little grumble of frustration, wishing she could see over the heads of the people milling about her. Her view of the corner was obscured. So what are you doing in New York City, Dana? You never did say. Paul's voice drew her attention away from his father's departing form. She smiled. Just here with a friend, seeing the sights and crashing parties. Her smile widened, though her heart wasn't in it. It was a dare. I'm trying to be more adventurous in my old age, to say the least. Well, I'm glad you crashed this one. Paul squeezed her arm gently. What a nice surprise. Where's your friend? Lee asked. Her voice was even a bit like Melissa's, Scully realized. Warm, a little husky with a musical lilt. My friend? You said you were here sightseeing with a friend. Oh, he's here somewhere. Her reply gave her another excuse to look around the room in hopes of catching sight of her partner. But a group of impossibly tall men stood between her and the corner, and she could see nothing. Her stomach tightened with apprehension. She didn't like leaving Mulder to fend for himself. She'd been his partner for too long to feel comfortable away from his side. Besides, he had the only gun. Her Sig Sauer was too large to fit in the small clutch purse she'd brought along. What does he do for a living, Dana? Paul asked. He's my partner. Dana's an FBI agent, Paul added for Lee's benefit. Really? Must be pretty exciting, huh? Lee's face lit up with interest. Say, I need to go to the ladies' room, Dana. Care to join me? She darted a teasing glance at her fiancé. 
You can tell me all of Paul's embarrassing college moments in private where you won't feel the need to censor yourself. The last thing Scully wanted to do was have a little chat with Paul Leone's fiance, but a trip to the restroom would give her the chance to locate her partner on the way, reassuring herself that he wasn't in any trouble. Sure. Lee lifted her face to Paul for a swift kiss, smiling up at him with a look of adoration that threatened to steal Scully's breath. How wonderful, she thought, not to have to hide your feelings, to be able to show the man you loved just how much he meant to you. Then Lee hooked her arm through Scully's as if they were old pals and led her through the maze of people milling about the ballroom. Scully lifted her chin and looked across the room toward the corner, noting with a sense of relief that Mulder was there, apparently in one piece, engaged in an intense but not too threatening discussion with Carter Christopher and his gorgeous female companion. Better not be getting that woman's phone number, Mulder, she thought, welcoming the wry humor that took the edge off her tension. By the time she and Lee emerged into the empty corridor outside the ballroom, Scully felt almost relaxed. That feeling lasted only as long as it took to round the corner. Once out of sight of the giant guarding the ballroom entrance, Lee's gentle grip on Scully's arm turned to steel, jerking Scully around to face her. Scully gasped. What the hell do you think you're doing here? Scully blinked, stunned. Excuse me? Raven told you to find your answers in your own damned head, Agent Scully, not here in the middle of the viper's nest. We don't want you this close. You're putting our lives in danger. Scully's stomach turned a couple of somersaults before sinking to her toes. You're one of them? In a manner of speaking. Lee looked carefully around before she continued speaking. Like Raven, I have my own agenda. Is your name even Lee McGraw? Lee merely arched her eyebrows. Of course not, Scully murmured, shaking her head in bemusement. Paul's name probably isn't Leon either, is it? As far as he knows it is. And as far as he knows, you're madly in love with him, but nothing is ever as it seems with you people, is it? I do love Paul, Dana. That's why I'm doing this. Doing what? Lying to him? Manipulating him? Scully shook her head, unspeakably angry. That's not love. Lee shook her head, her mouth tightening with impatience. I don't have to justify myself to you, Agent Scully. I just have to get you and your partner out of here before you get all of us killed. Is Raven here? Lee didn't answer, but that was all the answer Scully needed. She's one of the consortium, isn't she? I'm not here to answer your questions. No, you people never do answer questions, do you? Scully shook her head, her voice dripping disdain. You just pose them, torment us with the what's and why's and how's. You entered the game of your own free will. I was put here and you know it. They wanted me to be their tool, to put an end to Mulder and his investigations. I didn't choose this game. You chose Mulder. And isn't that the same thing? Scully was sick of the games and the lies, and she was sick of having her life laid bare to the scrutiny of people who didn't give a damn whether she lived or died, unless her life or death could somehow benefit them and their nasty little machinations. She turned away from Lee, planning to go back into the party and finish what she'd come here to do. 
but she hadn't gone more than three steps before Lee's hand clutched her arm, fingers digging into her flesh like steel prongs. Pain rocketed up her arm, and she gasped. I'm not finished yet, Lee murmured into Scully's ear. You don't want your pretty partner to end up dead because of you, do you, Agent Mulder? Mulder pinned Deborah with his coldest glare, the one he'd learned from his father. I don't like threats, Mrs. Bennett. It's not a threat, Agent Mulder. It's a reality you and your partner need to face. You seem to believe that your efforts can change events that have already been set into motion, but they can't. Some things are more important, grander than your pedestrian fascination with the truth. Deborah shook her head, a mirthless smile curving her full red lips. Your business here is finished, Agent Mulder. Go home to Mommy. Mulder's heart skipped a beat. She knew, he realized. She knew his mother's involvement. Fear crawled up his spine like icy fingers. Deborah's smile tightened. Relax, Fox. She's safe for now. Bitch, he thought, his hands curling into fists. Deborah Bennett and her employer held all the cards. They always had. Maybe they always would. He turned to face Carter Christopher, his expression hard with contempt. Do you let your bodyguard do your talking for you, Christopher? She's quite eloquent, don't you agree, Mr. Mulder? Christopher's eyes met Mulder's angry gaze. So rare in hired help these days, such a facility with the language. The gun strapped to Mulder's ankle felt remarkably heavy then, as if it had come alive and was tugging at the small holster, begging to be released. He knew full well that before he could manage to get to the gun, Deborah Bennett would have snapped his neck in two. But just considering the thought of mowing down this smarmy, manipulative son of a bitch gave Mulder a rush of sheer dangerous pleasure. Fetch your little partner and run along. Deborah's crystalline voice rang softly in his ear. With a sinking feeling in the pit of his gut, Mulder realized that leaving was the only option. He and Scully had accomplished nothing by coming here. They never seemed to accomplish anything where the consortium was concerned. Maybe Deborah Bennett was right. Maybe he should walk away and never look back, concentrate on Scully, on this thing that lay between them, beckoning for a more thorough examination an acknowledgement. Get married, have babies, never look back. A muffled shout rose above the hum of conversation and the light airy sounds of the string quartet playing Bach in the corner. Mulder's blood ran immediately cold. Scully. He pushed past Deborah Bennett and ran headlong into a phalanx of large men gathering near the doorway. One of the bodyguards, what else could they be, grabbed Mulder's arm as if to stop his rush toward the hallway, but Mulder thrust him aside, fear giving him added strength. Several of the hired muscles trailed down the hall after him, guns drawn, but Mulder didn't give them a second thought. He darted around a blind corner and skidded to a stop on the plush red carpet, his heart flying into his throat. Dana Scully knelt on the floor less than ten feet in front of him, drenched with blood. On the floor in front of her, a woman's body sprawled, covered in the same rich crimson that stained his partner. Scully? He choked out her name. 
She lifted her face and met his gaze, although he wasn't sure she was really seeing him. His heart thudded madly as she lifted her hands, as if displaying the blood that sheathed her fingers like gloves. He saw that blood streaked her throat and chest, discolored the brocade bodice, darkened the velvet skirt and sleeves. He took a faltering step forward, his hand outstretched. She's dead, Scully said, her voice faint and raspy. Mulder crossed to her side, trying to avoid stepping into the blood, although with so much blood it was a futile effort. What happened? Scully shook her head slightly. We were talking, and suddenly I heard a soft popping sound. Lee fell against me. She looked down at the body in front of her. Her throat bobbed wildly, and Mulder followed her gaze. The woman's throat was basically gone. He winced at the gory sight, realizing the bullet must have entered the back of her neck and exited the front, blasting through the soft tissue of her throat with devastating ease. Hollow point, he surmised, considering the damage. He was surprised the shot hadn't severed her head from her shoulders. He opened his mouth to ask Scully another question when a loud, horrible shout of anguish ripped the air. He turned his head toward the sound and saw a dark-haired man lurch forward, his face a mask of horror. Before Mulder could make a move to stop him, the man had knelt in the pool of blood by the body and gathered her into his arms, utterly heedless of the blood that now stained his tuxedo and snowy shirt as well. Call the paramedics, he screamed, rocking the woman to his body. Paul, Scully's voice was a low, heartsick moan. It's okay, sweetheart, it's okay. The man hugged the lifeless body, crooning softly. Mulder felt a surge of nausea and lurched away, half dragging Scully with him. She resisted for only a moment before she let him pull her to her feet and stumbled with him halfway down the hall. He stood between her and the sight of the sobbing man searching her for signs of injury. He lifted his hand to her face, brushing away a lock of hair that had tumbled from its restraints. Are you okay, Scully? She slowly lifted her eyes to meet his worried gaze. The blank expression in their blue depths chilled his blood. Slowly she shook her head. No. That one word scared Mulder more than anything in the world. The hotel room seemed preternaturally quiet, Mulder thought, as he followed Scully inside and shut the door behind him. Maybe it was the contrast to the two hours of chaos he and Scully had just endured. After the shooting, all hell had broken loose, and they had been right in the heart of it. He lay the satin cape his mother had lent Scully on one of the two beds. Despite the fact that Scully was shivering wildly, she'd refused the cape. I don't want to get blood on it she'd muttered through rattling teeth. He'd put his own thick wool overcoat around her shaking body instead. She stopped in the space between the two beds and turned to look at him, her eyes wide and dark. I'm sorry. He shook his head. No need. Her teeth still chattered together softly. I, I don't know why I'm reacting this way. It's not like I haven't. He held up his hand, warding off the apology. I know, Scully. I don't want you to feel you have to apologize to me for what you're feeling. She looked down at the floor as if the gentle intensity of his gaze was too much for her to cope with. 
I wasn't much help to you. There wasn't much anyone could have done. Mulder sighed, running his fingers through his hair. Whoever killed Lee McGraw was a professional. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to get away without leaving any clues behind. For all we know, he was standing there in the crowd, laughing at us. Nobody at that party was what he or she seemed. She shook her head. It was a room full of shadows. He had no answer to that. She was right. He doubted there had been many people at that party who were what they seemed. He thought of Deborah Bennett's taunt, and his blood ran cold. I managed to talk Mom into staying with a neighbor, he told Scully, who had not been privy to his phone call to his mother. You didn't frighten her, did you? I tried not to, but I couldn't let her stay at the house alone. He looked at Scully, standing there stiff and shivering in her blood-drenched gown, and realized that the first order of business was to get her out of that dress and cleaned up. What she needed was a hot shower and the nice, warm terry cloth robe the concierge had promised would be waiting for her in the room. A knock on the door stopped him in mid-stride. Maybe that was the room service with the hot tea he had requested. He turned and went to the door, but when he swung it open, he found himself looking into the slate-blue eyes of Deborah Bennett. He blocked the doorway. Go the hell away. I didn't come here to talk to you, Deborah said, looking past him to where Scully stood. It's you. Behind him, Scully's voice was low and hoarse. He turned to look at her and saw that she was staring at Deborah Bennett, her eyes narrowed. It's that woman I told you about, Mulder. Raven, aren't you? Mulder glared at Deborah Bennett, who nodded. Anger bolted through him, and he grabbed the woman's arm, drawing her into the hotel room and pushing her against the wall. You're Raven? She didn't even flinch. I don't want to have to hurt you, Agent Mulder. I'm not afraid of you. Forty-eight hours of fear, frustration, and rage made him reckless. Then you're a fool. Deborah's reflexes were lightning quick. He was on the floor with a four-inch heel digging into the middle of his spine before he could blink twice. I can sever your spine in a second. She applied pressure to his vertebrae, sending a howl of pain coursing down his back. He sucked in a lung full of air. Stop it! Scully's voice rang with authority, aided by the quiet but deadly click of a gun cocking. Move away from him now. The pinpoint of pressure against his spine disappeared, and he rolled well clear of Deborah Bennett. He looked up to see that Scully held his gun leveled at the tall brunette. She must have retrieved it from the inside pocket of his coat, where he tucked it after a futile search for the shooter earlier that evening. You came here to say something to me? Scully asked, her voice strong for the first time in two hours. Put the gun down, Agent Scully. It's not necessary. I'll decide what's necessary. Mulder stared at his partner, stunned by the change in her demeanor. She blazed with anger. He could almost see it coming off her in little sparks. She held his gun in her blood-stained hands, her aim steady. Her eyes were like cold chips of blue ice as she faced down Deborah Bennett. She was magnificent. Who killed Lee McGraw? Scully asked. Deborah shook her head slightly. I don't know. Why was she killed? Deborah's eyes narrowed. Because of you. Don't try that with me, Scully said, her voice thick with contempt. My partner may feel like he has to take on the burdens of the world, but I don't. 
I don't know a damned thing to you people. All you've done is hand me a load of lies and double talk and misinformation. You people killed my sister. You killed Agent Mulder's father. You and your pathetic crew of power eaters have tried to kill us both more than once. So don't expect me to shed tears for you and your kind when you turn on each other like wild dogs. I told you to find the answers in your own mind, Agent Scully, in your own past. I don't care what you told me. I don't dance to your tune. Then you'll end up dead. Scully laughed, a low, terrible sound that sent chills skittering down Mulder's spine. We all end up dead, Raven, sooner or later. And at least this way I'd die knowing I wasn't your spineless little puppet. This is a dangerous game to try to play alone, Agent Scully. Scully shook her head. I'm not alone. She turned her head and looked at Mulder, her gaze intense. He returned the gaze, giving her his strength and support. Then, in silent concert, they both turned their eyes toward Deborah Bennett. She looked from one to the other, silent and wary. For a second, Mulder thought he saw something very much like envy lurking behind her eyes. Then she simply turned, opened the door, and left the room. Neither Mulder nor Scully moved for a long moment. Then suddenly Scully dropped the gun on one of the beds and lurched toward the bathroom. Seconds later, Mulder heard retching sounds. He grabbed a washcloth from the gold rack just outside the bathroom door, drenched it with cold water, and knelt next to her. He held her hair back as she finished emptying her stomach, then handed her the wet washcloth as she collapsed back against the side of the tub. Her eyes closed and her throat bobbing as she swallowed convulsively to ward off the dry heaves. He flushed the toilet and then sat cross-legged on the bathroom floor in front of her, waiting for her to recover. I'm sorry, she murmured a few moments later. You owe me, Scully he said with a wry grin. A faint smile darted across her ashen face. I don't think you can afford to keep score, Mulder. He chuckled, heartened by her attempt at humor. He stood and reached down to catch her hands. They felt cold and stiff in his grasp. The blood on her hands had dried and crusted, he realized, his own stomach rebelling for a second. He pulled her to her feet and gently turned her around so that her back was to him. The gold and silver drape dipped almost to the small of her back, daring the delicate ridges of her spine. With a self-mocking half-smile, he realized that under any other circumstances, all that scully skin would be a wicked temptation. But not tonight. Not when she was so vulnerable not when what she needed most was tenderness and comfort. He reached below the drape and found the pull tab of the zipper. What are you doing? Scully murmured. Living a personal fantasy, he answered, his voice light and teasing. Getting you out of your dress. She turned her head, cutting her eyes at him. He met her quizzical gaze openly, reassuring her. She dipped her head forward, her eyes fluttering closed, and she relaxed, her body almost swaying against his. He finished unzipping the dress and gently helped her ease the long, stiff sleeves off her arms. The ruined dress puddled to the floor, leaving Scully naked from the waist up and clad only in panties and sheer stockings from the waist down. 
Mulder stepped away, backing toward the doorway. I'll be outside. Take your time. He scooped up the blood-stained dress and took it out with him, closing the door behind him. He folded the dress and stashed it in a plastic garment bag he found hanging in the closet. He debated going back downstairs and looking for one of the police detectives, who were no doubt still milling about the hotel. The bloody dress could constitute evidence, he supposed. But he didn't want to leave Scully alone, not when he'd once again come so close to losing her. So he stashed the bag in the bottom of the closet. He could give it to the NYPD in the morning. He and Scully were supposed to go sign their statements before noon anyway. As he was crossing back to the bed, someone knocked on the door. He tensed, grabbing his gun from where Scully had dropped it and crossed to the door. He glanced through the peephole, saw a bellman's uniform and relaxed fractionally. But he kept the gun in hand until the bellman entered, tray of tea and shortbread cookies in hand. He tipped the bellman and set the tray on the table between the two beds, then kicked off his shoes and socks and stretched out on the bed, waiting for Scully to finish bathing. He listened to the soft hiss of the shower, thinking about Scully standing under the spray, letting it wash away the traces of Lee McGraw's blood, letting it cleanse her. What she had been through tonight was horribly traumatic, even for someone like Scully who dealt with death on a daily basis. It wasn't possible for Scully, with her doctor's dedication to preserving life, to watch someone's life ripped away right in front of her without being affected. He knew she thought it was a sign of weakness, how deeply the night's events had shaken her, but he found it her greatest strength, the fact that despite all the horrors they had witnessed, she still had the capacity to feel things so deeply, to be affected by tragedy. It was a testament to her character. The sound of the shower ceased, and he turned his head toward the bathroom door, awaiting her reemergence. A few seconds later, she walked out of the bathroom, clad in an oversized terry cloth robe, her hair wet and tangled, her skin bright pink from a vigorous scrubbing. She avoided his gaze and lay down on the other bed with her back to him curling into a tight ball. Room service delivered some tea, he murmured. Sure you don't want some? I'm okay. He sat up and swung his feet over the side of the bed. I know you are. Liar, she murmured. You think I'm a basket case. He stood and crossed to her bed, lying down behind her. What are you doing? She asked. What do you think? He gently ran his fingers through the hair tangled against her cheek. Mulder, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. He continued the rhythmic caress. I can handle it. Yes, you can. Mulder, stop it. Stop what? She caught his hand, trapping it against her cheek. Stop that. I don't want you to think you have to do this. I'm okay. Scully, let me do this for you. He scooted closer to her until his body brushed up against her back. You've been a rock for me more times than I can remember. Don't shut me out, please. Let me do this. Her hand trembled and fell away from his. I don't know why I can't shake this. Maybe because you're human? She turned her head, looking at him over her shoulder. Mulder, are you coming on to me? He chuckled, resuming the gentle play of his fingers in her hair. She looked away again. 
Seriously, I've seen much worse things, Mulder. I didn't even know this woman. Why am I still shaking? I think it's not just Lee McGraw's death. I think it's everything that's happened to us over the past three weeks. You told me yourself that it was unnerving to think about how insidious the consortium is in the lives of innocent citizens. That's the kind of thing that shakes your foundation, makes you wonder if there's anyone in the world you can trust. Paul was going to marry Lee Mulder. He loved her. She said she loved him too, but she was lying to him all along. His father is lying to him. Raven's job is to protect Carter Christopher with her own life. Yet she seems to have no qualms about betraying him. Scully rolled onto her back, looking up at him, her eyes dark and wary. I used to trust people, Mulder. I took them at their word. She shook her head slightly. That seems so long ago. Now I know there's almost no one in the world we can trust. He propped his head on his hand and looked down at her, his heart clenching. He had done that to her, he thought, dragged her into his nightmare and ripped away her faith. So perhaps he alone had the power to give some of it back to her now. I think there are probably millions of people in the world we could trust, Scully. She blinked, looking up at him in surprise. There have to be good, honest, decent people in this world, Scully. Or else what we're doing wouldn't have any meaning. There'd be no point in finding the truth if there's no one out there who cares to hear it. He brushed aside a little strand of wet hair that clung to her lip. The problem is, we don't have the luxury of the time it would take to find out who we could trust and who we couldn't. So we have no choice but to watch our backs every second. She reached over and caught his hand, cradling it to her stomach between her own hands. I guess I'm really pretty lucky, Mulder. I have my family. And you. He was acutely aware of the warmth of her body beneath the terry cloth robe, the sweet soap and water freshness of her scent. The soft hum of attraction that coursed through him was more pleasant than frantic, and he let himself enjoy the sensation of lying next to his favorite person in the world, feeling her warmth against his body, hearing the tenderness and affection in her voice. He felt safe and blessed, a rare feeling in his realm of experience. I'm pretty lucky too, he murmured, moving his hand against her stomach in the most delicate of caresses. If you weren't around, I'd have a four-inch heel sticking out of my spine right now. She didn't smile as he'd hoped. Instead, her expression darkened. I hate people like her, pretending they're trying to help us find the truth while we take all the risks and make all the enemies. He nodded. And yet it's so hard to turn your back on the information they offer, knowing it could be the key to finding what you seek. She closed her eyes, her brow furrowed as if in pain. I'm so tired, Wilder. Then you should sleep. He gently withdrew his hand from her grip and started to retreat to his own bed, but she rolled onto her side to face him, her hand gripping his arm, anchoring him. Though her lips trembled, she uttered no sound, but the entreaty in her gaze was clear. Stay with me, Mulder. I need you. He opened his arms and she burrowed against him, her head nestling in the curve of his throat, her arms circling his waist and pulling him close. He curved his body around hers, enveloping her with his own warmth. Within moments, 
she was asleep, her body and mind exhausted from the traumatic events of the evening. But he lay awake for a long time, keeping watch, listening to her steady breathing, and thanking whatever God might be listening, that they'd both lived to see another day. You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast.